Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. I am Jonathan Santos Silva. He is Doc Miller, and this is the Board of Ed. What's up, Doc? Bang that gavel. Let's do it. <laughs> dong, 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 right? I need it. I need it. I need it. Um, man, we have had quite a ride, and it's still not even midway through the season. We got to awesome guest but first how you doing my brother I, I you i will tell you i have been thinking about that question ever since season one i've had this conversation with somebody like literally yesterday <laughs> how that is a perplexing question i am trying to train myself not to ask it because it puts like first of all i literally had an inter- interaction with somebody else like you don't want to know you want me to say fine right like i am great by the way don't get me wrong i'm totally great but i'm trying to switch to what's going good today, right? Like that's what I'm trying to get to. So what's mm-hmm. going good today is I get to spend time with, with you, Jonathan, uh, and with all of our listeners here on the Board of Ed, uh, and of course with Randy Saraguchi, who we'll introduce in a minute um, here on the Board of Ed. So I, I'm, I'm excited. Things are going great here. How about you? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, in case you're wondering why that question is such a vexing question, you've got to go back to the archives, that's check right. out season one. The soon-to-be Dr. David Johns. Um, so check that out. But yeah, today we've got another excellent um, uh, board member, another powerful guest, uh, Randy Saraguchi Jr., CEO of Urban Ed Academy. This is a really good brother doing some great work out in the San Francisco Bay Area to get more Black men into the classroom. Yeah. And, and if you're just now joining us for the first time, uh, or, or if you're if you're joining us again, you know this whole season we've been talking about um, how do we make schools more human. That's inspired by an op-ed by Jal Mehta uh, in the New York Times. And so, but if you're listening for the first time, that's really what we're talking about is, is this season looking at ways where schools can be not only more human in how we treat kids, but Randy takes it to a totally different place. Is oh we forgot teachers were human too, right? <laughs> like, so mm-hmm. how do we make schools more human for kids? Might actually have to start with making schools more human for teachers. Um, well, those are massively big questions. <laughs> Crazy, broad, uh, billion dollar questions you have there, my brother. Um, but um, I think I think as far as this human moment, this aspect of, of making schools more human, making education you know, really more human, I think it was baked into this, um, I would say, prevailing theme of proximity uh, through COVID. And, and while there was this, you know, socially distanced piece, like the actual physical distance you had to have with people, there was also this uh, uh, proximity issue within your, with, for yourself and with your family, you know, whoever you were quarantining with, whoever you were with, where you learned new things about yourself and how you interacted with people, what your needs are. And I think one, I'd like to say that our, our young people are not the only learners. I think we're all lifelong learners in a way. And COVID was revelatory in that way for folks to rediscover things about themselves, um, like not to get like too down there, but with this workforce issue that we're seeing where, you know, a lot of the hourly wage restaurant hospitality workers now been home for a year, like, you know what, I don't, I don't need to serve people and get cussed out over a buffet that, you know, the heat lamp ain't on. Like, that's not, that ain't my fault. 
<laughs> and it's not worth $15 an hour to get cussed out. Plus the, the two hours on the bus there and back, like I'm good. I can find something else to, to do it. I think the, the more human aspect of it um, and, and, and to tie in the young person's piece of it, the, the, the human aspect of it, I think made us realize that there are even more dimensions to education than we originally thought or thought we were paying for, I should say. So this whole notion of like a per student rate, you know, the school and teachers inside of it and the administration around it is paid for. But, you know, as, as you, you know, astutely said, you know, education doesn't start and stop at the schoolhouse. You know, it's on the way to school, away from school, on that bus, you know, on the weekend when, you know, a kid is, is at a store. There was a story in San Francisco about a fifth grade boy who got falsely accused of stealing something from a store around here. And the school, thank God, were, was able to be not just now an alibi, but an advocate for him. Like this, no way. Um, and so I, I just, I think now with all of that rambling, um, I think we have been forced to imagine anew what the investment in our people really looks like or ought to look like. And I think a lot of people are chafing at the price tag because um, one, we don't know how much it is. And that level of like lack of data sucks. How do we not know in the most civilized world in the country, quote unquote, how do we not know how much it really costs to develop a human here is a problem. Um, but then two, knowing that from an equity standpoint that that number is going to have to shift has been a big, I think, big picture realization for people too. I'm glad you brought it up. and. It the rambling, you know, that you, you know, you use that word, not me, but I love that. I mean, cause I think like, uh, educate people in general, humanity is not neat and fit easily in boxes, but certainly not education. You know, the cost of education, uh, uh how does it, you know, what does it cost us to, 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 I don't know, to steward a, a young person to be a, a whole healthy adult, you know, it's real. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially when we're thinking about students of color, students who are experiencing poverty, students who, who come from backgrounds or communities where homes where they may have encountered trauma, you know, the ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Um, without, I mean, I'm not gonna ask you to put the price tag on it, but like, you, what else, you know, what did, we, what did we miss? Wasn't it enough to just for them to read and do math? Like, what <laughs> did we miss and what was revealed in your, in your estimation in terms of how do we do a better job of making schools human and ser serving the whole child? Um, I think the biggest thing we missed was that when we're serving these children, we're actually serving their household because the educational tools that we install at the schoolhouse are really only as strong as they can be reinforced at home. Because while we, we get a kid for 30 hours, you know, times a hundred, you know, per week times however many weeks out of the year, they're going home every day and then they're home every weekend. Um, and if it, the one thing I think that we all learned was one, how important a household is to education period. You know, literally they had to prop up schools in houses. And you know, I know different parents took it to different levels. <laughs> I see parents buy the little ABC thing and put it all around the, the kitchen, you know what I'm saying? Put up a little whiteboard for, for their little son or daughter. Like, you know, you gotta kind of make it, make it work. But I think that investment, I think, it's missed when you think, oh, I just need to, to your point, pay for the reading and math that's happening 
8 a.m. to 3 p.m. You know, over on Main Street. You know, it's 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 way more complex than that. Um, I think second, uh, I think we saw that despite how much we what we are investing in schools, that this 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 conversation around education is not necessarily all the way squared with this conversation around human development and what it means to actually be a productive citizen in the United States, right? And so I think there's a question around efficiency of our time. Cause like, yeah, 12, 13 years of pre-K, you know, pre-K pre, uh, pre through thir uh, 12th grade experience, that's a lot of time with a human being. But what we're seeing is that the advent of the internet and all of this information that's available for these kids, maybe like the elementary, middle school, high school, like blocks, maybe those don't really work anymore, right? Maybe maybe eight to eight to three is not a good time frame for schooling anymore because we see how important the U.S. economy uh, or how much how much importance the U.S. economy places on school as a childcare system, and how childcare is not squarely in line with education, in line with human development. So it's like all of this stuff, and I kind of want to wrap back, man, to where you or circle back to where you 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 mentioned that the professor talked about um, this past year being an indictment on us in terms of how much we value our students. I think, I think there was like in 2015, there was a study around the amount of the federal budget, the percentage of the federal budget that actually goes to people, so youth under the age of 18 versus 19 through you know 85. And it was something like 10%. Like if you look at the federal spending 10% of our federal budget or so, maybe I'm off, for sure wasn't more than 15%. But I'm gonna say closer to 10. That is, show me your budget and I'll show you what you care about. That is 100% right, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mean the future workforce is only worth 10% of our current investment capacity? Yeah. Our investment strategy is off. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. If, if, if you're saying that less than 10 or hovering around 10% of your budget is focused on the future, how are you preparing for a world that we can hardly predict? How well, are we getting the, kids ready to lead? That's the trick, though, right? Is we're not we're not budgeting to prepare; we're budgeting to react, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, so our budgets uh, are are you know there there is a there's this this horrible situation where we're looking at education not as an investment but as a, a box to check, right? Like, mm -hmm. no, education doesn't you know, when kids graduate, you don't get a profit. So it's, it's not part of the, the, the sort of generally accepted capitalist model. But if we don't teach all kids, one, we don't have a workforce that can do what needs to be done for our country. We don't, you know, graduate the innovators who create new revenue streams. Like it is truly an investment but you don't see the return immediately. And I think that like some people can't get their head around that. Well, I mean, I think it, it goes to show you uh, how people truly value our children because the reality is, is many people swear by a buy and hold strategy in investing. You buy that stock knowing that you're not going to see that return. You invest in that business knowing that you're not going to see that return immediately. But when it comes to our kids, yeah. we're not, willing, we're to not willing to take that long view. And the reality is, is it's a whole lot cheaper to educate kids, teach kids how to read than it is to keep them housed in a um, prison. And yeah. so that's your return. 
that kid graduating, uh, reading and thinking critically and starting a business versus the same child um, draining the system mm -hmm. uh, in a prison cell somewhere because we didn't love that child enough uh, upfront to make sure that he or she was getting a quality education. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, it, 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 you know, as, as a lifelong educator, like it's, it, it belies wisdom for me to go like, how can, how can you not see, right? That when you spend more money on imprisoning your population than you do educating your population, that, that something is broken, like <laughs> deeply, deeply broken. And then when you look and go, and it's targeting a particular part of your population, like, you know, this is those times where I'm like, get it together. Like, like I just want to, I don't, I don't know who to shake, but like, you know, sorry, I'm uh, taking a step off my soapbox for a minute. That's <laughs> all good, man. I don't know, you know, speaking of shit, let's just let Randy get back into it. Let him yeah. shake it up. Yeah. And, and his organization is shaking it up. What, what have they been doing to, 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 to make the change? Well, um, it's actually been, this past year has actually been wildly, um, it's been shocking in some ways because as a, a small nonprofit, um, you know, under a hundred employees and, you know, at the time we were under $2 million in the annual budget, um, you know, it wasn't, the, the outlook wasn't, wasn't looking great. It was actually looking pretty bleak for, again, a scrappy nonprofit trying to do something different. Um, and so our Urban Ed Academy, uh, for, for the folks out there listening, is uh, based in Bayview Hunters Point, San Francisco. And uh, we have a mission to place one black male teacher in every elementary school in the city, city and county of San Francisco. There's 67 public schools uh, under SFUSD, uh, elementary schools. And just for numbers sake, our goal in this campaign is to bring 100 men, African-American men, um, through credentialing ranks, uh, this zero to, to credential Sort of, sort of trajectory we want to bring them on. And to make it possible in a cost prohibitive urban environment like San Francisco, we tag on housing as the primary benefit to make that four year commitment a reasonable one for, for the man, especially one who's coming in as a non-education major. That's our, our focus is to try to influx talent, you know, to your point, you know, less than 2% of all teachers are black men. Well, that also holds true for male representation in teacher colleges. And so instead of going to ed schools and plucking out black men, like my brother, you are actually doing what I want you to do. You're gonna be in a school somewhere in America, you know, salute, I'm gonna get to you on the next round, hopefully, but you should get all of the love and, and care you need because you are on the path. How do we sort of draft black male talent into this space? Um, we thought started with not necessarily plugging in a boatload of money because the, the, the nobody, no teacher would say they came into this thing to make it big and become a rich, wealthy American, right? <laughs> they do it because they are service driven and they care about this community. And more importantly, they care about the future of our communities. And we know that ed quality education is the best leverage point we have to changing the trajectory of a person's life. Well, the leaders in front of that matter. And for black men to come in, we know like, all right, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to pay you $150,000, $120,000, like I would love to do that. But instead, what does it look like? What does the proposition of you saying yes to our offer look like? If we can instead dial down your costs. So on the other side of the balance sheet, I can't give you tons of cash, 
But on the other side of the balance sheet, I can work with partners to knock off your costs. And if at that point, your discretionary capital goes up because you don't have, first off, the biggest cost, which is rent. But you know, we've been able to work other partnerships to get all of the coaching and credentialing covered, um, to get transportation covered in some instances, nutrition, um, as we kind of call it a social concierge. You know, we want to make sure guys move into a new environment. You know, you have fun. You know how to have fun and get connected. Sometimes it costs a hundred bucks to go to a dinner. Um, but you know, part of the experience of that 2000 hour requirement in the first year of the apprenticeship you need to make sure people are comfortable. And so um, the identity specific support system of this ecosystem is, was, it was important for us to make it black on black on black. And then the last piece I'll say about the housing is we've had to get creative with how we acquire housing again in such a cost prohibitive place. And the, the bedrock of that for us has been this social exchange model where we target black homeowners in particular in distress in some way mortgage behind, you know, behind your, in your arrears and your mortgage, maybe you need uh, repairs and renovations to your household. And by curing that pain point with you up front, I ask you to, instead of paying us back, amortize that value over the four years of the apprenticeship, the fellowship with the young men that we're recruiting here. So that now we have a, a total sort of localized ecosystem of support for this new kid on the block. And we're trying to do that times a hundred. Whoa, that's, you know, that's ill. I mean, I feel like in a way, just uh, finding the money to pay them, you know, an extra stipend, right? Like an extra duty stipend will be easier. But what you are proposing, in, in, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like the potential to create that ecosystem where when the four years is done, he might stay, like is so much greater, right? Because when the, if the salary drops, if the stipend drops, and I've, and I've grown accustomed to that, I might have to dip. I might have to change careers. But if you've created a community around me, you know what I mean, of people that support me and connections and resources that I can tap into, it definitely makes a place like, I mean, there are a lot of other expensive places, but I know the Bay is expensive. It can make a place like that feel like home and feel like, you know, I could be here for a minute. Yeah. And, you know, that's the point because, you know, I don't, you know, the, the rumors about the Bay Area, you know, you come here, if you're Black, you don't last very long because it's, there's, the community's not here. You know, gentrification mm -hmm. has been super real in San Francisco. Um, it's starting to get beyond reproach in, in Oakland. And then you have, you know, horror stories up and down the state about Black folks just kind of getting booted, jettisoned out of what have been historically Black communities or at least historically diverse communities. Man, those those factors, those like hierarchical, like cultural factors that we can't touch really. You you have to the best you can do to prepare a guy for that because let's say we let's say we didn't exist, and let's say these jobs are open, and let's say a guy from Texas Southern University saw an opening at SFUSD, and was like, I want to do that. Even if he can make the housing part work, that social cold shoulder you get, hmm. bro. I mean, you just gotta be ready for it. Being the only black man in certain spaces and then walking between spaces and the only black men you see are either cracked out, like completely strung out on the street, like homelessness, like you haven't seen out here or super high and mighty, like powered, you know, financial district black guy. And then there is no in between. There is no guy like you. Hmm. So you're apt to leave it even sooner. You know, even if you are stable financially or physically, and 
we, you know, we get yelled at sometimes by, not yelled at, but like kind of, uh, uh, we get big questions from funders and other folks around why we're trying to tackle so much at once. And uh, I think my, our answer is that one, it, it, it works, you know, it works better than the state average right now mm-hmm. in terms of bringing in and in through the system. But two, uh, the second piece is that if all of these things matter, you can't approach an interdimensional problem set with a single slice of a solution. Right. No, that's, that's, that's it right there. Um, so you said you have, you, it works. It's, you're doing better yeah. than the state. Can you, can you, I know it's not all about numbers, but can you give us a picture? Like, so how long have, has this, uh, how long have y'all been doing this work? And what does it look like? How many fellows have come through? How many, you know, have, have they graduated of the four year? We're not there yet. What's, what's it, what are we, where are we at right now? Uh, well, where we are is we're coming out of our first, our, I think our first phase of our lifetime, which is this pilot phase. You know, we did three years where we brought in 11 guys total, super deep supports over those, th- over the time we've had now. And the supports, again, start from the, the initial recruitment onto identity specific coaching and field placement supports um, throughout this sort of apprenticeship year, this first year. It's a pre-service year before they actually get into a classroom and then direct supports with the school district and with school sites to get placed, to actually get a job, you know, on the back end of that and also get into a credential program. That zero through a hundred of like all of those steps, first off, no other program in the country is doing it like we do it with the housing component. Um, But second, we, we had to learn exactly how many steps and crevices and nuances in there were around and available once we like put all of the pieces together. And then two, what's our responsibility as an organization? Because we're doing, I would say, the job of the HBCUs. They're supposed to help you get a job once you graduate, pay all that money. These school districts who are screaming for black men, they would love a black male, a prepared high quality candidate. They would love one to just drop on their black, which we're also trying to do, but like, you know, to the tune of 700, $800 million of a budget. What do you mean you can't find one black guy? What do you mean you can't find two black guys, right? So um, are, are we getting that money? No, we had to figure out like, nobody's coming to save the day for us on this. We had to kind of do it ourselves. And so it, it this for of the 11, we ended up just missing seven because they just weren't ready for the program. And, you know, finding the right cadence and vetting was a big, 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 big lesson. But with four out of 11 placed through the system, we had to look back at what the state of California was pushing out. And this is these because the data doesn't exist. All I can tell you is what the stats are. So of the men of, men of color, black or brown men that enter to teacher prep programs, 66% end up leaving, not completing it. So that leaves one out of three that actually can even get to the credential test. We don't know how many are matriculating through. So all I can tell you is my goal, just as like a mathematical certainty was beat one out of three. That was our goal. We, we've done, we're doing that right now and we're still learning, you know, as a, like I said, a small nonprofit. Um, then there's also the stat of first time test takers of the CBEST and all these tests, 40% fail on the first time. That's not inclusive of any demographic data. What I can tell you is every man that we've had taken the CBEST, 100% has passed. 
So we're doing much better just on the teacher prep, pass the test side. Right. And, oh, I'm sorry. And then, <laughs> and, and oh, and then, and then lastly, when it comes to matriculating into or actually entering into a credential program, of the seven that we had presented ready to go, all seven were accepted into one of our credentialing program partners. Um, and so, you know, at least we know we have a lot of the rungs of it all covered. We have yet to see a full cycle through because it's a, it's a four-year commitment. But um, in a year, our, our first cohort will have completed that. I will be, I will looking forward to being able to tell you that, you know, we had um, uh, even more success, you know, with the cycle actually finished this time next year. No, that's dope. I mean, I think, you know, when you see, say out of 11, seven were dismissed, I think the first reaction is like, whoa. whoa. But yeah. then when you think about putting into context of the, the brothers in the education programs are dropping out at a 60% rate, there's a bigger issue, right? right. Especially when you think that, uh, I mean, we don't know, but my guess is these brothers have met all of the criteria to enter the education program. So it's not like we just scooped up some no account brothers and was like, well, we expect them to drop out. So we've got to, you know, there's a deeper conversation we need to have about why, uh, well, why brothers aren't feeling at home or supported or like they can find success in these programs. And my guess is they're probably connected in some ways to the reasons why we have such a, um, shortage in the first place right we have this historical i mean for someone who's listening right who is like wow that sounds like a lot of effort and energy to get so you know little return right can we give them like uh, even like a short like a cliff note version of how how we even get here right like if they don't know like right like about i don't know how desegregation how brown versus board so much you know what i mean you literally, I was gonna say, if, if we wanna be real about it, we gotta go back to 1954 and we gotta talk about, and this is a controversial topic because obviously integration is important. Diversity and representation matters and that means different people have to be around each other to learn about each other. But from an economics perspective, desegregation was one of the worst things that happened to the black educator professional. And what happened was when schools integrated, they combined workforces. And just like the rest of America, it was still racist. So when schools had a chance to hire either white teachers or black teachers, you already know what decisions they made. And it, and it, it bears, the data bears out today. Over 80% of the workforce are white women. Like that didn't just happen. You know what I'm saying? And so when we talk about, you know, how gradually over the last couple of generations, we've disincentivized our highest and brightest black male talent from looking at the classroom as a viable pathway of supporting your family, number one, and then number two, uplifting your community. It, we, we're, we're fighting against, you know, what, 80 years almost now at this point, you know, 70 years. I'm sorry, I'm bad, I'm bad at math, y'all. 70 years, you know, my, 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 almost my grandmother's age pretty much. And so I think there's where we start. Now, if you fast forward, the, the profession obviously skews female by and large. And so when we talk about the gender dynamics, there, there is that across race. It's not like black men in particular just have been just shut out. Um, but all of the other barriers along the pipeline, there's this leaky pipeline as a, a study from NCTQ um, uh, it's quoted, I think in like 2016, they did a, a joint study with the Brookings Institute. 
And there are obvious issues when you talk about graduation rates, you know, from high school on, black males in particular are performing at the bottom when we're looking at student demographics. And so at every opportunity, we have less and less talent of black male talent to pick from at the high performing high school rage, high performing college, high performing grad school, and then even the alt cert programs, you know, there's lesser representation there. Um, if I got to talk about it all for real too, we got to talk about the New York Times coverage of a Raj Chetty study um, that 14 out of 100 black men in America are missing because of incarceration and because of death, premature death. And so we're literally not working with a full cover, even when it comes to the talent that's available, not to mention for those men that have matriculated out of the system or whatever the case may be, may be have made it, there's some other reason holding you out. Then there's the gifted and talent um, drain, talent suck, as I don't know what else to call it, but there's this dynamic that our best and brightest black men that are out there get creamed in more lucrative professions. And so, the, you know, medicine, law, engineering, even now, you know, this entrepreneurial sort of tech startup dreams, the MBA, acting and rapping, there's just like probably 10 professions that a black man off rip is going to say, I'm trying to do before I teach. You can connect this idea that there are, you know, 10, 20 more professions yes. that black men are recruited into or that they look to mm -hmm. back, unfortunately, back to the desegregation, in my opinion, Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that that was the panacea and all of a sudden little black boys and little black girls went to school with white boys and white girls and everybody got great education. Mm -hmm. We know that's not the case. Not only that, though, um, the burden of it was on the backs of the black community. So not only was it that the black children were bust, it was the black principals and the black teachers that were displaced. So this isn't just that these other fields and, and careers are more lucrative or attractive. It's also that for a long time, those weren't they were no longer seen as a, a, a teaching was yeah. no longer seen as a viable pathway to have impact. Yeah. And, 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 and why would you go into a profession that hasn't served you? Right. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I don't see a, a value. If you don't see a value in something, why would you pursue it as your career? Uh, you know, we know that schools have historically underserved students of color, students from low income families, but we're asking people who come from low income communities and we're asking people of color to go into classrooms because kids need them. But you're going, you failed me, right? Like when I, when you had me, you failed me. Why do you want me to come and save your system? So, so this is, this is not a passive problem. This is going to require active inclusion and outreach and change. Right. And, and I keep thinking back to to another part of this that, you know, we talked about, you know, your investment strategy. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm not a believer that you throw money at problems to fix them. I, you know, it, the, the idea has to be right. The execution has to be right. It's not just right. about money. But when we talk about these professions that are attractive to really talented educators, especially educators of color, teaching can't compete with the income. Mm. You've got to invest and pay the talent that you're looking for. You want the best MBA player He's not going to work for $40,000 a year and some crappy benefits and no time off, right? Like mm. <laughs> he's, he's not going to do it. Right. No, it's true. It's real. Um, it takes a lot more than that. And it's, it's not only salary is a part of it, but there are so many other um, dynamics 
to, to making sure that black men and other teachers feel like healthy, whole and sustainable in the field. And Randy talks about that. And when we talk about that, we also need to be clear that this investment makes a difference. Mm. It pays off, right? Randy's mm. going to tell us about what does it look like when we're successful and we get black men teaching in front of black students. It's, it's been magical, you know, quite honestly. Uh, it's, there's no place quite like the Bay Area in America, um, in my opinion. This, um, the, the lip service that is oftentimes just that does sometimes get deeper. And you have pockets of community here that are for real about this racial equity stuff. And so it's just been resonating. Um, and especially you include the, the neighborhood housing component, it's there. But I think the one thing that we've asked, we asked people when, pre-COVID and we talk to people and we try to get an assessment of kind of who's in the room is, you know, how many folks from the United States, how many folks, cause you know, pretty international here. So you gotta ask that. How many folks went to, you know, public school K through 12? And then how many people, had, how many black male teachers did you have in your life? And zero, man, and me too. And I grew up in Jersey. You know, I grew up in a pretty black area in Jersey too. And you know, the Jersey Shore, Asbury Park. And I didn't have one until college. And the absence of that has, has informed and shaped my life in a whole different way, I think, than I would have even expected. Um, but the importance, man, of getting it early, actually, we got, so we got some, some, quality, some quantitative data from the Urban Institute, a study that we've used to actually, you know, we tell people our system, our, our ecosystem is to actualize these stats, which is you put a black man in front of a black boy before sixth grade without any respect to actual academic performance. Just the exposure bears a 29% increased chance of them applying and being interested in college and a 39% decreased chance in dropping out of high school just off of that same race match before middle school. And so it's like, if that ain't a silver bullet, I don't know what is. With all of this teacher shortage going on, we should have some jobs for some brothers available. So it's not like we even got to fire Betty, you know, to get her out of there. <laughs> so shout out to the Bettys out there. Oh, but, not Betty. <laughs> Betty. Betty, you don't got to go. <laughs> you don't have to go. Uh, but then the other thing is, is this like quantitative data we got done in, in, in partnership with um, Willie Brown Middle School. Shout out to uh, Principal Brown and uh, his team for helping us keep some of this data. But in the 2017-18 school year, between the fall and the spring semester, we tracked eight students. And the only variable between these eight students was us putting a black male mentor or black female mentor in the classrooms first second and third period for these eight kids and every kid from fall to spring had at least one grade go up had their attendance go up and had the disciplinary referrals go down every single kid had those trends but the biggest swing and this is i'm kind of answering your question but not because like there's more to bear out of it the biggest swing with this young man who in the fall, out of 90 school days, bro, had 111 referrals. <laughs> so literally averaged more than one referral a day. Like he was just that, I guess, that much of a menace or a terror or a bad kid or, you know, all of the things that we, we hear and read about these kids when we, when we read their records. But then in the spring, 89 school days, that number dropped to 13 referrals. 
And the only difference was because, you know, teacher didn't have like the, 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 um, the not the handicap, the crutch of calling the principal's office and saying, so-and-so's, you know, giving me a problem. We had somebody in there that could deflect and relate and just be able to simmer it down. Now there's other variables involved that, you know, there's two adults in the room. Um, you know, maybe the specific period, it, the, the, the room structure was such that our mentor had better access to the child physically or, so, you know, there's other variables for sure, but to account for a near, nearly a hundred referrals. Right, that's a big number. In a way. So, man, our so our presence in schools. And put it this way: put it this way. If you don't want to give credit to the presence of the mentor, you better figure out what it was. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a big impact. Whatever it was, you put you know, uh, uh, I don't know, grape flavored water in the bubbler. Fine, but whatever it is, you need to figure it out. You can't just let that junk just lie out there, right? You got to figure it out. It wasn't an outline. <clears throat> it wasn't. That's yeah. so dope. That's dope. Um, I mean, and, and, and in case anyone's like, oh, well, that's great, but that's one kid or that's eight kids, right? This is really small stuff. It's not, right? New Schools Venture Fund, their, their, um, diver, their teacher diversity uh, team has, they have um, accumulated so much literature. I know Teach for America does it. They have gathered so much literature. And this is not like New Schools or TFA just like gathering their own data. This is like going out and looking and finding study after study, article after article, piece after piece that says that when kids have teachers, even one that shares, you know, certain identity characteristics, there is a positive, uh, they call, I know in TFA, they call it a profound additional impact. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, of, uh, on that child. Right. Um, and to your point, a lot of districts are talking about it. And even though we would probably argue that the schools uh, deserve more money from the federal budget, it's not like they have an insignificant amount now, right? We could be doing a lot more investing yep. in, in, in getting black teachers, black male teachers in front of black males or Latinx, uh, Latin, Latinos in front of Latino boys, you know, whatever. And we can go on another line, right? Native men in front of native boys. We can do it all, right? Right. But let's, let's just say <clears throat> we don't have to convince them. Let's say the district is already interested I know it's still early. We're like year three out of a four cycle, four year cycle. But what are some of the lower hanging fruit? And then I guess, and we, and we can progress up from like the things that schools and school districts can start doing, yeah. even if money doesn't change. And then, you know, if when the budget comes around and you need to repurpose it, what uh, choices and changes should they make? And, you know, you could raft off as many as you have or go deep on them, whatever, because I just feel like, we have, a, we have a, a community that listens to this podcast and that, that, so they're probably more likely than not, not needing any convincing, but they want to know how to actualize something, how to put it into practice. That would be huge right now. Man. All right. So I got, okay. I do this sometimes with the team then because I, I, I got a lot of ideas. I'm going to try to limit them to three and I'll stick to like different tiers. So like, let's go cars. We'll go the Pinto, like the basic rundown. I'm saying every used car lot, you're going to find one of these smokers to get you from A to B. We could go like new lease, like a new Civic, you know what I'm saying? Real reliable. And then we could go Cadillac. You go, we can go big boy, like how much, how much we want to try to move together. The, the very baseline one, man, is, B, is, is I, I, I've sent somebody a quote earlier from Rumi that what you seek is seeking you. And if you want black male talent, 
just as much as much stuff as I was talking about, like, you know, the leaky pipeline and every, we are at a point in our history where absolute numbers of college graduates have never been higher for black men. And by and large, HBCUs are producing the most black male graduates in the country as a collective. There are over a hundred publicly funded ones. All of them need your help in getting these men employed, period. So you can't just go to these schools and set up a tent and say, when's your employment fair? You have to invest. If you're a school district in California, you're one of the top 10 major school districts, you can invest $10,000 to send a team to develop a meaningful relationship with each of these universities. Maybe not every single one of them, let's just say $10,000 each one. And I guarantee you, you'll get at least 10 qualified candidates, guaranteed. I, I would say I've seen these districts spend $10,000 on a consultant to tell them that. <laughs> Won't even wanna just jump out, let's go get on the travel, let's just hit the ground running because we know every year, without a doubt, more black male college graduates are coming out. The social promotion alone, we don't want you here. Like go into the world, be great. You can go and just folk, if you just say, I'm only gonna go to HBCUs, I'm only gonna hire black male teachers. I, I know like on paper, right, you gotta be careful, but enough programs have enough latitude and enough cash to go and be that focused. Well, here's the thing, right? It's like, I don't think those districts you're talking about have a problem getting Betty. No. Betty already knows they're there. Yeah. So even if you were to just take and repurpose all your recruitment dollars, we're only affairs we're doing are at HBCUs this year. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna have a, an issue, right? Like people know where San Francisco is. People know where Oakland is. So just by the benefit of investing that time and energy in HBCUs, and to your point, even even if you focus on 10, once it is demonstrated that this is for real and it's not a one-off, mm-hmm. then then in, in after a couple of years, pick another 10, pick another 10, you know what I mean? And just shift it all down. The, once those uh, brothers find success and they go back and talk to the alma mater, man, I have a great career. I have a great job. It's going to be a cycle that replenishes itself. So, but you have to show the long-term commitment. You do. And, and I think, I think that's kind of actually segues into the, the, the sort of, you know, tweener version of Honda civic, the civic, <laughs> yeah, the civic version, man, which is um, I, I think we have to be bold and we have to call out that this is a specific demographic of professional that we want. And we have to start to create more localized partnerships in cahoots with that mission. Like we went to homeowners and we went to other you know, foundations and corporate social funds. We built this own, our own little partnership ecosystem to fund this because you know, no single grant was paying for all of this. This is all like you know, creative entrepreneurial discretionary money that we have to go get piecemeal and, and you know, it took some time to get it. But I think school districts with the purses that they have even single school sites, if we're talking about um, charter networks in some in some ways, um, can work some of these atypical partnerships. We went after housing, but let's say even a, um, a school district was able to come up with a partnership with um, the local restaurant association in a city. And we got 25 restaurants who the data shows us these 25 restaurants throw out, you know, a, a half a ton of food every night. And they already have a relationship with homeless shelters where they give them out. But you know what, school district, how about we use our power 
our, our bully pulpit. Let's go flex and talk to the 20 that are giving the homeless shelters. Can y'all slide us like 15 meals a night so we can give it to this cohort of black men coming in? We want to make sure they have a cooked meal every day. And dinner's the easiest one. They are willing to put in the time. So we're going, we want to set up a system where, you know, locally we just, we, we want to take care of them feeding wise. The, the last one I'm going to say, this is the most, con this is the Cadillac version, most controversial. Um, but like, you know, number two is just partnerships, lean on partnerships. Because people want, people want to support teachers. There is no like more crystal clear to your point about the pandemic. There is no more crystal clear, like who's super important to, to making this world go. We know we need these teachers back in the schools. We know that. Um, but on that, I think we need to get ready for two things. A bigger attrition wave than we think, because there are a lot of Bettys out there who have been home now for 12 to 18 months. And by, you know, by the time September rolls around, I'm saying, and maybe I don't want to go back to school anymore. I'm 57, I'm more vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm, I'm married. I'm established. I have kids. Like you've lived your life, so the burnout is real, and it's just it's going to be impossible for us to expect some of these people to come back. Right. So Especially when you add in the fact that so much of the burden on teachers over the last year and a half has been um, exacerbated for folks that might be uh, not might not be tech savvy. Yes. And I don't want to overgeneralize, but I would say generally. That might be the, the the older cohort, you know, folks that have been in the game 25 years, 30. Like, man, I all this Zoom and Google and stuff, I'm good. If this is what it's going to be, I don't want to do it. So there's just natural people are going to select out to your point. They're going to opt out. I want to do something else. Or, you know what, I'm close enough. I'm going to just take an early retirement. Or that. And, you know, that's a different financial burden. But what I was going to say was in anticipation of that, we have to start getting comfortable going in this so interesting that this is called board of ed going to these school board meetings and better understanding our budget because i i this is just probably on average but i'm gonna say about 90 percent of every district's or single site's budget is already spoken for in salaries benefits and as an ed you know this it's already spoken for and so we you can't even go advocate for real on wild radical ideas and new innovations you your expectations are, are, should already be low because most of the money is already spoken for, except when things like this happen and unexpected overages or surpluses are available because we didn't hire. And you just, you have to be in front of it to be, I think, the best advocate for new ideas. And it all, all of them, as great as they might be out of our mouths, will eventually cost money. And you will have a better case for advocating for something if you understand your local school site or your local school budgets, school board's budget mm. to look at where the gaps yeah. are. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is I've never actually heard somebody use the word bubbler. Uh, it's a water <laughs> fountain. It's, uh, I had to look it up. Uh, it's, we, you know, Jonathan, you, you threw me for a loop there. I actually had to learn. My New England folks know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> I found in my research, I found that out. I'm a, I'm from the South. I'm like, what is, a, what is a bubbler? I had to ask, like, I don't know. I don't know what a bubbler is. Yeah. And it's probably not a bubbler for most New England. It's probably a bubbler, but you know, you get it. You get it. Got bubbler. it. Got it. I, I, I appreciate, you know, you learn something new every day. Learning <laughs> a lot today. Perhaps the least important thing is I know what a bubbler is. Uh, sorry. Bubbler is. Yeah. <laughs> Am I, did I do it? 
I, I think that was pretty good. That was pretty okay. good. Okay. Uh, but I, I think Brandy is, is helping us see here. Like we, we got to find the gaps and, and we got to know, we got to know our people. We got to know our kids and we, we got to, we got a lot to do. Mm. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do. Um, and it goes back to something you said earlier. If the end goal and result desire is that young people um, are supported and they feel like they're more human, they're treated more hum- humanely in education. Mm-hmm. It starts with caring radically about the adults that we entrust with the great stewardship and responsibility over that education. They can't, you know, how can you cannot pour out water from an empty cup? So we've got to make sure that we are filling up our teachers of all backgrounds, male, female, black, white, Latinx, whatever, um, non-binary, Asian, all teachers need to feel like they are supported, loved, um, and given the resources and tools they need to excel. And in this case, we're talking about black men because with so many young black students coming up without those role models, we need to be even um, more focused and 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 move with intentionality to ensure that there are role models in the classroom who look like them and can uh, reflect to them. This is what's possible. And you know, we keep using this word "human" or "humane." What does that mean? Well, I, I, if I had to sum it up, man, I think uh, the, the human experience is, is, a, is a trifecta experience of mind, body, and spirit. And I think most employers that I've seen out here in the tech world, and, you know, and even the federal government, you know, there's some, the pitch and the incentive to, to bring you on, like the, you talented American you, who we have invested in now over like the last 18 years of your life, you know, we're saying for some of these folks, 22 years of your life, we want you to know we're going to take care of you. You can come and serve and work with us and you're going to be good. And I think when, you know, Facebook or Google is pitching at the people, they show you like the free food and, you know, the bikes, you know what I'm saying? And the stipends and this, and yeah, you might get some stock options too. And there's all of those comforts, but like also the campus is beautiful. Like my office and my workspace is nice. I'm around smart people who care about the work that they're doing. Maybe not in some of these corporate places, but you know, now zap back, you know, to from from an ambiance perspective of the human experience, mind, body, spirit. Some of these schools are some of the worst buildings in the neighborhood. It's not even like, you know what I'm saying? Some of these environments are like, why the hell would I ever want to come back here or want to be here? serving other people. I'm looking at Mrs. So-and-so, she's miserable. Why would I want to be her? And I think the representation is just, it just, it's just, uh, there's untold benefits to it for a kid beyond that academic year. And, you know, to your point, for the young white girls and white boys out there that have yet to see a black man in authority and respected, we can knock that out in kindergarten for damn near for free for all 25 of them kids. You know what I'm saying? The way we're we're setting it up. And so mind, body, spirit has gotta be covered for our professionals. And I think for black people, that's an identity specific approach to that. And so like, not only physically do you feel good, you feel safe about where you are. So you're teaching in the hood, you're in the South side of Chicago, great. Maybe the the physical part is you're cool with because you're black and you're from here and it's, it's there, but on your spiritual and your mental side, am I challenging you or am I forcing you to go sit in the gym with the bad, bad kids? 
or am I forcing you to go be the, 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 the crosswalk monitor? Because that's where all the fights happen and we need, we need the person who you know, knows the hood the best to like keep the kids settled. If that, if that person is from Spelman, that young woman is from Spelman, we're not challenging her. The rigor is not there in the job. So I'm just, I'm checked out mentally and then spiritually eating at my soul. I, I, to your point, the test, to the test, the test, the test, the test, the state won't give us money unless this many kids pass this test. There's no spiritual reward for our professionals. And so I think there where we have places that support and promote creativity, places that su support and promote healthy well-being as a black person, both mentally and spiritually, and then places that support and promote being a challenged, rigorous professional. This ain't just about daycare. This is about unlocking the next inventor, maybe, of the next the next breakthrough for the human experience. When you have people motivated and they feel comfortable in that, they're gonna give you all of themselves. And then some. That's what's up. So I know we're running on time. I'm sorry to keep yeah, you back. Bad, man. I got you no, 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 no. I know I love it. I had to just but I wanna um we so we're talking to we've been talking to the audience. We're talking to the folks who are in position to make decisions. But now I want to ask you just for closing words for the, the young people, mm -hmm. the young people who show up like you do, you know, identify as black men or biracial men, I mean, multiracial men, um, or, and the teachers. Talk to yourself, young Randy in school mm -hmm. right now, and then a younger Randy in the profession. Just words of encouragement, words to just keep them going and to inspire them, you know, just because you've already been a little further down the journey. Man, I would have to get, I would have to challenge my younger self. I know that. And so I would have to say, I'd have to tap into some controversial words uh, of the, the late brother Malcolm. And that is only a fool lets his enemy educate his children. And so to you, young brother with power and promise beyond what you even know right now, you need to know that the greatest gift you can give yourself and to your people is to serve in this capacity. And I know it's not gonna be comfortable. I know it's gonna to be tough. I know you're not gonna like a lot of these pieces, but for the next four years, I can promise you that if you take care of these kids, your life will be taken care of for the rest of what you know to be this human earthly experience. Because I think every black man worth his salt has got to be involved in educating our future. We just don't have another option. And so there aren't that many brothers like you, young Randy, <laughs> young Jonathan, you are special and people have poured into you. It might be early for you, but I'm asking you, if I can take care of you, will you help me take care of these young folks? Man, that's the question. Mm -hmm. it's the, and it's the, more than a question, it's a call. Yeah. A lot of times folks, folks today, we throw around, you know, this is the movement. This is the movement. This is our movement. Mm -hmm. But really, um, if we have already acknowledged that we're not investing in education in our future the way we need to um, at, a, at a systems level, then this is the real movement. On an individual level, will you join? If, if, if organizations like Urban Ed Academy, if leaders like Randy will, will, will pave the way or at least kind of like mark the trail, mm -hmm. will you join and, 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 and dedicate yourself to these young people who really, really need it? You know, throughout this whole uh, conversation, I keep seeing in my head this meme that's gone around on social media. It's like teachers don't teach for the income. They teach for the outcome. Right. 
And, and I think what Randy is, is astutely pointing out and addressing is no, it's both. <laughs> right. Like right. teachers teach the outcome because, we, you know, it is in, in large degree a calling to, to, to serve children. Right. But the system has to make an investment into you. Right. right? Like we're asking people to come in and give up all of these things. And 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 so, so this idea that teachers only are only in it for the the ability to change yep you got to make a commitment to the teacher right this is a this is a a double-sided coin Mm. you want me to make a commitment to serve kids then you need to make a commitment to me right and you know to take that meme no i would say teachers don't teach for the income they babysit after hours for the income Mm -hmm. they wait tables on the weekend for the income they take a second job over the summer for the income because we don't value we don't reward people who are doing this work we we ha- i mean the thing and, and this is not really about pitting people against each other it's really my campaign to add teachers into the category of hero you have veterans discounts you have first responders discounts and then we should we don't have no damn teacher uh discounts not enough we don't we don't I'm elevate gonna... that work to that same uh echelon or level whatever yeah. the word i'm looking for is and we i'm gonna should. partially disagree with you there i want to pay teachers so they don't need a discount right <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't give me the discount just pay me the money so i don't need one but i i, I you know I, I see your point there i and mm-hmm. i do agree um it, i mean and, and you're absolutely right on right like there's we have to change the view of what educators do and mm-hmm. i think the crux of that is just because you were in a school doesn't mean you know what it takes to teach, right? I've used a toilet thousands of times. I'm not a plumber, right? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to do that myself. And so it's about, uh, you know, uh, the posture of humility, which we've heard in a a previous episode with Hassan Hassan. But um, I think that's, that's, it's really important. And I, and I, I want to go back to that meme. Like I'm not villainizing, like, I don't want anybody to think that teaching isn't a calling, man. It is like, it's gotta be in your heart. It's gotta be in your soul. You got to live it and breathe it. And we got to pay you for the dedication that it takes. Yes. And we need to find the people who we've excluded from this profession because kids need them. Mm. Kids need yeah. Black men and black women and women of color and men of color, they need a diverse group of teachers who look like them to make a difference in their lives. And, right. and that's just one of the many things that the Board of Ed stands for. Yeah. So, and, to, and to be clear, and that don't look like them, this benefits white children as well. I want to underscore that. It, it benefits all ch- children. This is an investment in all our kids' future. Um, and so, and with that, I want to thank Randy. And I, I want to thank Randy Saraguchi. Urban Ed Academy for the work that they do. Um, and they're part of a growing a growing community of, of dope organizations that are thinking about how we diversify our, our classrooms or who's, who's in our classroom. So grateful to, to him. I know he's super busy making time um, to, to be with us, be with our, our, our Board of Ed Village uh, to share and to inspire. Uh, to learn more about Randy and all our other uh, Board of uh, Ed members, our board members, uh, visit us at theboardofed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D of ed.com. Uh, We're also on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore 
board of ed and you can also join our uh, Facebook group. Uh, lots of great things in there. We've got uh, blog posts and additional resources for each episode. And of course, uh, feel free to comment, talk, create a discussion uh, online with each other um, so that you can continue to do the work. Uh, we really appreciate you. Jonathan, send us off with some final thoughts. Yeah, Randy said earlier in the episode, uh, we need to give them, meaning teachers, uh, what they need to stay. Mm-hmm. And so I want to encourage you all, um, all our listeners out there in Board of Ed Village to do what you need to do so you can stay. Take care of yourself. You know, it's 2022. Um, so this is a dated reference. Remember, um, was it, um, was it uh, Parks and Rec? Treat yourself 2011, right? We need to do treat yourself 2022. Teachers out here, principals out here working their fingers to the bone. Um, you got to take care of yourself. So take that minute, download the meditation app, you know, take a yoga class, join the Tai Chi program, like whatever, read your scriptures, um, get it in a gym, spend time with your partner, like do the things that bring you joy and re-energize and fulfill you. Take time off, like on the weekend actually make it a weekend right yeah like you know uh uh the 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 jewish uh jewish community the sabbath they take that day off right that's a day do it do it don't 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 grade all weekend do the things you need to do the things that you love that give you energy that make your heart pump so that on monday you're ready for this case you cannot give 100% if you're operating at 80. That's just a, that's math. Uh, next time, I'll make sure Jonathan doesn't sing to you. We apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> Join us for the next episode. In the meantime, stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.